Beyond Film Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, it's been pretty much a year to the day since the last uh, Beyond Film podcast. Um, everything was put on hold, just thought it was a little bit, I don't know, inappropriate to talk about getting out there and uh, filming things uh, when no one was able to do that. So uh, now things are hopefully getting back to um, some sort of normality and people can actually start shooting again. Maybe it's time to start talking about it again. So we kick things off after a, a long uh, sort of hiatus um, with uh, an interview with Steve Lawson, who is a writer, director, producer, editor, uh, actor in some of his films, in some of his older films. Um, he does it all. He's a, a filmmaking machine. Um, and uh, I was, it was a very interesting chat I had with him. He has some very pr- uh, um, provocative titles let's say, um, films such as Hellriser, The Exorcism of uh, uh, Karen Walker, uh, The Haunting of Alcatraz, uh, Essex Heist, and his new film, Brand Stoker's Van Helsing, uh, which is out now, actually. And in the pipeline, he has two more films, uh, Saltwater, The Battle of uh, Ramry Island, and Ripper Untold. So this is a guy who hasn't hasn't been slowed down by the pandemic at all and it's business as usual as far as he's concerned um he talks about how things did slow thing slow down a little bit but this is a guy that doesn't let anything get in his way um we talked about script writing some really interesting uh, uh sort of insight into his uh, his how he or why he writes script writing or his process um early memories uh, of wanting to be a filmmaker we're going to talk about what it was like oh way before youtube even as he puts it before the internet was really a thing and making uh video on on actual videotapes and trying to edit that uh in camera and using very uh to today's standards, uh, very uh, outdated um, and, and and cumbersome and uh, I guess quite laughable um, kit. Uh, but you know, when the passion's there, you kind of make do and you you work with what you've got. So it was very uh, interesting to sort of go down memory lane and talk about how we uh, how we both made films as 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 kids, uh, working with the, the same crew and cultivating a family dynamic. Um, very int- uh, very important uh, very important to him as well if you look at his IMDB you'll see the same names popping up so he's clearly uh, uh, you know he has a very fun atmosphere on on his sets and uh, the relationship between the director and the DOP and the importance of that um, Steve in, in his past films has, 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 has shot, also shot his films amongst everything else and uh, only only now has sort of relinquished that and, 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 and put that into the hands of uh, a trusted DOP and um, yeah so we, we talk about that amongst other things uh, apologies in advance for the audio quality on my end uh, I before the before the uh, call I actually asked um steve to make sure he had a decent mic and his audio quality is spot on uh very clear amazing fidelity his his recording was was great uh mine on the other hand i sound like i'm in a box so i'm not quite sure how that happened but apologies in advance um a little bit out of uh, out of practice it's been a year at least um 
but that will be rectified. Uh, so what I've done, I've cut most of my waffle out and let Steve do a lot more of the talking because at the end of the day, he's a lot more interesting than I am. So without further ado, here's Steve Lawson. Yeah, thanks so much for um, for chatting to me, uh, Steve. I really That's appreciate right. this, um, and I appreciate it because I know you you're a very busy man. Um, I'm going to go straight in and say, um, tell us about your new film. Uh, which one? I'm doing about ten. <laughs> <isn't I>? <laughs> <laughs> The one that's coming out. I you'd say that. <laughs> the one that's coming out next uh, tomorrow, as, as as we speak, is um, mm. Bram Stoker's uh, Van Helsing, not Bram Stoker's Dracula. As yeah, I almost type every single time I type it in. Yeah, Bram Stoker's Van Helsing. So it's um, it's an, uh, an adaptation of Dracula, the original novel. We've gone back to the original novel as accurately as we could. Uh, the only thing we've done differently mm. is we've taken Dracula out of it and mm. uh, made it all about. Uh, Van Helsing and the character of Lucy Westenra. I don't know if you how familiar you are with with the original Dracula novel, but um, sort of the first half of it is is mm. Lucy's descent into vampirism. Yeah, uh, and then obviously the second half of it is they go to Transylvania and they chase Dracula down and all that sort of thing. So we're just basically doing the first half because I read the novel and it struck me the first half is it, it was very similar to The Exorcist in my opinion. Mm. I don't know how familiar you are with The Exorcist, but mm, yeah. you've got a, a girl with a mysterious illness that may or may not be supernatural, and they bring an expert in, and you know, and it turns out it is supernatural. And you know, it just reminds me. And I thought, as I was reading the novel, I thought actually this 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 section with Lucy Westenrode, there's a whole movie just here, you know, based on that, rather than just doing another another version of Dracula that's the same as all the others. So that was the idea behind it. That's great, um, and obviously. Uh, a lot more practical to shoot as well. Well, yes. Um, well, the scariest thing is because I, I wanted to do a Van Helsing movie, but the the idea of casting somebody as Dracula just seemed unfeasible. Who who do you cast as Dracula? It's you know. So I got around it by having almost. I mean, Dracula is in the film, but it's just kind of like a, a cipher, so to speak. You know, because obviously he is there. He is the the root cause of the vampirism, but the movie is not about him. So we got around having to cast somebody who kind of had that presence. That it just seemed impossible to me. Yeah, that's great. And um, I mean, just talking practically as well, because uh, you know, um, you kind of just get things done. You know, I get the impression you're a guy that does a lot yourself. Yes, so having the, the base that I've got is is incredibly helpful. It's now it's, I've got this studio building. People may or may not know. And, and when I first got it, and it was this big empty warehouse type thing, and I thought this is amazing. It's massive. I'll never run out of space in here, I've, you know. And now it's absolutely rammed with period costumes, props, settings, furniture. You, you can't move in there. Yeah, because I've done a, a short which was period, and that was. That was uh, that was tough enough um, because you you really do have to be very careful, don't you? That you have to make sure that it is you know spot on to the to the period as well, because there's a lot of people out there who will uh, will trip you up on it. Oh yes, and especially especially low budget films because you do see them where people. Um, I won't mention the name of the film, but there's a, a a low budget film kind of set in medieval fantasy world kind of scenario, and they're shot in a castle, and you can see kind of fire alarm buttons and health and safety posters and cables and things <laughs> in the background. And it, cause it's really hard. Obviously on a big budget film, you can kind of either CGI that out or just build a set or whatever. It's really hard to avoid that stuff. 
because that's the problem yeah. with shooting period films. So many old period properties nowadays, they've all been modernized, or at the mm. very least, they've been touristified. You know what I mean? So there's mm. safety, like like you want to film in a castle, but there's safety railings everywhere, and there's fire exits, and there's you know stuff that you you can't get in the shot. So yeah, it's really tricky. Although obviously we're lucky in in the UK is having all these lovely historical buildings and sites and things. But, Even so, I think I think you uh, you still end up going. Oh God, there's a uh, there's some uh, some wires down there at the side, or there's you know there's always going to be something that kind of creeps up into shots. So I think you've got to sort of narrow your shots just to sort of get rid of all those as well. Did you did you come up across any of that when you were when you were shooting? Yeah, because uh, we shot. Amsterdam? I mean, the stuff we shot in the studio is fine because we can build whatever we want. But the stuff mm. we shot we shot on location in this place called uh, Pipwell Hall. Uh, near Northampton, which is obviously a lovely, big, old, stately home kind of thing. And mm. I think eagle-eyed viewers may spot the odd light switch in the background <laughs> that probably shouldn't be there. Although saying that, it, it, the period it's set, it's, a very, very, it's like the very last bit of the Victorian era. So they did have electric lights, I think, around that time. Because um, we were going to shoot in this other historic house that, and it, that's all kind of um, a preserved house near uh, Birmingham, that's all as as it was in in the era, and they have electric lights and things because I base a lot of our sets on what on stuff they've got there. So I think it's I think we get away with it. Yeah. Is this uh, more of a, a, an ode to uh, the uh, the uh, sort of B movie horrors back in the day? Are you, are you kind of is it a little nod to that era? Well, it's an it's an ode to the the Hammer horrors really because the, mm. the reason it all started was because I, I was working with this actor called Mark Topping on a previous film, and I just thought he looks a bit like Peter Cushing. Yeah, it's just so he had the sort of the, the high cheekbones and the sort. Of, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to have him as Van Helsing in something? And that's that's it's literally that is what kicked it off. I just saw him as as, as Van Helsing, and then went away and wrote the script basically. Oh wow! So it was it's amazing how you get those little sort of sparks of inspiration from something so yeah. so, so minor like that. Yeah, that, literally that was it. I mean, apart from that, obviously, I love that kind of film anyway. Who who doesn't like a, an old fashioned gothic vampire film? But yeah. yeah, that's what set it off. And also the, that and the fact that I came up with the title, Bram Stoker's Van Helsing, I thought that's a dynamite title because it sort of sounds like Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it's not. Yeah. And also it, 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 there's been so many Van Helsing films that have strayed away from the original novel, you know, like the the, the Van Helsing uh, action film with what's his name in from X-Men. Yeah, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, exactly that one yeah. and, and other things. So, that, but the, Whereas this actually is Bram Stoker's Van Helsing in the sense that, yeah, we have gone back to the original novel and it is the proper original character as he's depicted with a Dutch accent and, you know, all that sort of thing. So we, as, wow. we, we did go as close to the original novel as we could. That's amazing. And and um, and uh, how long did it take you to, to shoot? How long was production? Well, normally we shoot these things pretty quick. Obviously, this was uh, we we had made the fatal mistake of starting in March 2020, hmm. and we shot. For, I think we shot for three days, and then we had to quit everything because oh. you know it was it was the early days of the pandemic, hmm. and nobody knew exactly. Obviously, back then, no one knew exactly how it was going to pan out and what was going on, and hmm. all the hotels started closing, and and obviously we just had to send everybody home. So that was a really scary time because we shot hmm. we shot. I say three. I think maybe three, four, maybe five days. Roughly half the film was in the can, and um, and yeah, obviously we had literally no idea of whether we were ever going to be able to finish it or what was going to happen. So, so what did you do? Did you pick it up like um, towards the end of last year? I took all my editing gear home from the studio and just edited the footage we had. So time wasn't wasted in that sense. And eventually, mm. we 
it was in the summer 2020 when things gradually started to reopen, didn't they? And uh, it, it became sort of the, the rules became apparent of what you could do and what you couldn't do. So it became possible to, to, to start planning things again. And uh, we were hanging on because the location that I mentioned, the, the, the historic house we were going to shoot in, they were closed, obviously, again. So we were, we were hanging on for that to reopen. And in the meantime, I shot another movie. <laughs> What did you shoot it? So why, whilst you were waiting to shoot yeah. your film, you shot another film? Yeah, well, because I had another one that was in the works. It was primarily an outdoor thing. Hmm. So that was much, you know, in terms of the pandemic and all that, it was much better to be outdoors in the fresh air shooting. So we shot um, the other movie I've got coming out later this year, which is called Saltwater, uh, The Battle for Ramry Island, which is a, a crocodile attack kind of creature feature. And because that was primarily set outside, we, we shot that. And then literally, I think, I think a week after that was in the can, we, we managed to reconvene Van Helsing at a different location that would let us in. We shot for another three or four days and got that in the can. And then I had two films totally in the can to edit in a hurry because both were promised to distribute. Because obviously the, 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 the original plan with Van Helsing is it would have been finished in the spring, you know, if, if we'd have shot mm. it. It would have been finished, sorry, shot in the spring, edited in, in the summer and delivered to the distributor in the summer. But it was by now. It's like six months late, so I had to you know, quickly. I mean, they're very understanding. Obviously, it was the pandemic. We all understand yeah. the situation. But so yeah, so I had to quickly edit that and the other film as well. Both of them were finished by Christmas 2020 and delivered to the distributors. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't believe. It. Did you have Did you have um, the Saltwater film sort of on the back burner anyway? You thought, yeah, oh, it was, it was that one that had been yeah been in discussions with uh, um, for digital entertainment. It's one that we, I literally pitched it to them several years ago, and it just went through lots of discussions. and, and It was never the right time because it was um, cause it was set in the jungle, and obviously we had to shoot it outdoors in the summer because there's no point trying to shoot something like that in the UK in the winter with a load of dead brown trees and that sort of thing. And the, and Four Digital were kind of a little bit worried that you couldn't get away with doing this kind of movie in the UK anyway. So it went through lots of discussions about wh- where can we shoot it? Is it going to look all right? Should we do it on a set indoors? Uh, so, because that—that's why it was kind of on the back burner. It was, it was just in discussion, and finally uh, that summer, I had this time where I couldn't do Van Helsing, so I said to them, "Look, we could do the Saltwater now. It's summer. No, no one's doing anything because of the pandemic. You know, all the actors are available. Let's let's get it done." Yeah. So we shot that, and I think it was in in eight days. In um, you shot the feature in eight days. Yeah, and and it's you said it's supposed to be set in 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 the jungle. It's set in um, well, I say jungle. It's set in Burma, and if right. you actually. If you look at photos of the sort of undergrowth in the countryside of Burma, it doesn't look, it's not, it's not tropical. I mean, it's not a tropical rainforest, which is kind of what you imagine. So what we've shot actually looks pretty authentic because we found a location not far up the road from the studio that was like a, an outdoor space that had some little lakes and ponds and woodland and things like that. And it had these great lakes that had um, green algae. So it looked really swampy. It actually looked really good. So you go something like that, you pump a bit of smoke into the atmosphere, stick a few plastic palm trees in the background, blend them in, yeah. spray everybody down with like fake sweat. It looked yeah. really good. I mean, it's actually a film I'm really, really pleased with. Some we whipped together really quick. It's one of the best films I've done. I think. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to do really well when it comes out. That's that's interesting because I, I find that usually you kind of get those like that happens when you just kind of just do it, and you know, sometimes I think you can do way too much prep to the point where it just kind of muddies everything and then you never really kind of get what you want but usually if you if you just you know have fun and just do it and get it done and it's like 
good things happen. It's quite I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was fun exactly. <laughs> to be fair, I do a lot of prep. Actually, I do a lot of prep. But then what I do is I then I go out on set and ignore all the prep I've done and just make it up. That's pretty good. That's pretty the prep fun. reassures me because it makes me feel like I, when I go out, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Because the worst thing, the scariest thing in the world, is to go out on set and think and just not have a picture in your head of what the shot's going to be and just be there and everyone's looking at you. Where do you want the camera? I don't know. You know what I mean? That's yeah. just a horrible feeling. So I do actually, I, I storyboard everything very precisely, but then I and, still and end up ignoring it. No, very <laughs> okay. often not. Because very often what you draw and what you imagine in your head mm. when you get on set doesn't actually work because actually I learned something. I, I just shot a movie, another one, um, Jack the Ripper movie, and um, I was working with a new DOP for the first time. And I said to him, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm sure about everything, so you'll be fine. And, and when he came along, he said, so, so you've done um, overhead plans, have you? I'm like, what? Cause in his head, or in his sort of planning of a movie, you, you'd have a, an overhead plan of your set. If you imagine like a drawing from yeah. a, with little dots where all the people are and where the camera is, and it's all measured out, and that's how you work out how to shoot it. And me, I just done sketches of what I think the picture should look like. You know mm. what I mean? <laughs> Which actually is not that useful, I, I learned. <laughs> because because right. what i because again what i'd drawn didn't fit on the set the set was too small and whereas if i'd done a proper overhead plan that was actually to scale and measured i would have known that and he would have yeah. known that you know what i mean so um yeah I, but anyway yeah that's right that's what in the past I've, I've just drawn these sketches of what i think the shot should look like hmm. but then very often you get on set and it doesn't work or you can't get the camera in where you thought or, or for whatever so you end up not using the sketches but again it reassures me would um, would you when you've done a recce and you've taken pictures when you've gone on the recce would that not have been good enough for for the DP? Uh, yeah, no. This this was on the set in the studio because oh, what happened was because I mentioned earlier the studio is really big. It's a great big space, but once you actually build a set and put the furniture in and put up the fake sort of divider walls and things, it it suddenly becomes a lot more crowded than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, and especially once the DP gets in and sticks a million lights everywhere, there's way less space than you think there's going to be. And so all those, I was writing in my sketches and I was saying what um, what lens it should be, you know, and I was talking about all these long lenses, the shots that I thought we were going to get. And there's no room for getting a long lens in any of those sets. All these, what I'd written as long lens ends up being shot like a 35 mil lens because that's, that, you know what I mean? To get the actor yeah. in the shot without cutting all his head off, that was the longest lens you could fit in there. So uh, you know, still learning, still learning on every film. Yeah, was it? Did what was the uh, the long lens uh, choice for? Was that was the stylistic choice? Were you trying to? Well, it's it's where you want it. No, it's obviously um, I divide it up into kind of obviously wide lens would generally be some kind of establishing shot or whatever. Or hmm. if you want to get that kind of effect where you go in really close on the actor with a wide lens to get that freaky kind of fisheye look yeah. but generally speaking a long lens would be just you know it's to make the actor look more attractive because the further mm. the further you can get back and the further you can zoom in or just or the longest lens i mean you, you i'm sure you know you can get the more shallow depth of field and it makes the actor it flattens the actor's face so it makes the actor look good basically yeah. so long long lens shots that look nice when you've got actor close-ups yeah i think that the, the relationship between the director and the dop is pretty much the closest relationship you should have and you know yeah, for sure. I keep I use the same people as, as as much as possible because when it works, why would you why would you why would you mess with that? You know. Um, but you said you you worked with a new DP on on the on the latest. Yeah, what, well, I worked with him before. That? Yeah, um, essentially, before I was just acting as my own DOP. Hmm. I was shooting everything myself, which I, on the one hand, I like doing because it's so immediate. I really love the immediacy. Rather than having to say to somebody, "Please, could you put the camera over there?" No, that's not quite right. Can you raise it up a bit? No, can you lower it? Yeah. One thing I'd say is, the more crew you have on set, the longer everything takes. 
Yeah. You think it'll be quicker because you've got more people helping hands. No, because you have to tell each person what to do, and then and then one person has to tell the next person, and then everything just takes twice as long. Um, not this is not a criticism of my crew; they're great, but you know what I mean. It just does; it naturally does. The bigger the thing, the longer everything takes. It's, it's just a fact. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love the immediacy of doing my own camera work, but at the same time, I'm getting too old, and my knees just cannot take the constant. Because you know, when you're raising the camera, lowering the camera, some bits you have to crouch, sometimes you have to stretch, sometimes you have to lean here and there. End of the day, it's it's physically hard work. Mm. You know, so um, it was great to have somebody to do that for me and i used a chap i'm going to shout out his name john o'neill he was a dop and i had worked with him before on a short and he's just fantastic but it was again it, it was a new exp- learning experience for me to have a dop who isn't me and who i have to actually communicate with and and make understand you know we have to have this as i say it, it needs to be the closest i think relationship on the sex he needs to know exactly what you want yeah because otherwise he's not going to know and you and like, like you said you, you'll end up with a movie that's not what you had in your head at all yeah you know the the relationship I have with my DP, and I'll say his name, Craig Murdoch. He, um, you know, we've known each other for fifteen years, and there's we've developed a shorthand. He doesn't mind me being a little hands on. Obviously, not all the time, but I can just so uh, just show him, and I, I'll, I'll you know he'll pass me the camera, and I'll just go. That's the framing I was thinking of. Do you have a similar relationship with your DP? Uh, actually, uh, no, I, I didn't. I don't think I touched the camera at all. During the shoot, I didn't dare. It looked very expensive. <laughs> what um, did you shoot on? You'd have to ask the DOP. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Um, it's all out of my. I, I decided. You I mean it's it's out of my hands because I trust him. So mm. I, so I just let you know. I I didn't actually interfere and grab the camera and do that kind of thing. Although tempting though it is sometimes. Mm. I you know I I took the view that if I'm if you're going to have somebody come in and be the DOP, let them do it, and, yeah. and don't try and do their job. So. Uh, yeah, it was all out of my hands, really, and I just, I just, I let him get on with it. Yeah. But yeah, it, in retrospect, there are shots now. Obviously, I'm going to say now, it looks ten times better than if I'd have shot it and lit it myself. But mm. still, there are some shots where I think, eh, actually, I, that's not quite how I would have done it if I'd had my own hands on the camera. Yeah. But but no, but it, it's in retrospect, you know, it looks fantastic. It looks way better than if I if I'd done it myself. So yeah, it's great. Well, you've been making films since I'm going to say since you were a teenager. Nope, way before. Way before then. Okay. So when what was what was your sort of earliest um step into filmmaking? Um I thought it would have probably been nine or ten. Wow. And even before that, it's a weird thing. Even as a little kid, I mean like even littler than that, like really super, super little, I was making films in my head, if that makes any sense at all. I was always yeah. I mean, making films is something I've always wanted to do. Literally as far back as I can remember. And so even as a child with, with playing with toys and that sort of thing, mm. you know how you play with toy cars? Well, you know, when you're little. And mm. um, in my head, because there was a lot of, back you know, back in the 80s when I was a kid, car TV shows were big, you know, it was Knight Rider and all that sort of thing. Was that's cause Car things were cool. So in me playing with toy cars, in my head, I was setting up little shots. Mm. You know, it'd be like, cars driving this way, car goes past camera, car jumps over this thing, crashes. In my head, it was a little film when I was editing it all together in my head. Not even, not even really knowing what I was doing, and I could, you know, that's sort of an earliest, earliest thing I can remember. Mm. And um, and when we've got the very first kind of um, family camcorder, you know, the, like the earliest, basicest thing that was available back in the eighties, I just grabbed, grabbed it, and that was it from then on. I, you know, the, the family camcorder was my camcorder, even though I was literally like, <laughs> a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old, I just shot stuff all the time. 
I remember seeing some of the stuff that you did uh, that you sent into uh, the Eastern Heroes guys uh, when you were doing your action scenes. And um, I was, I would have been about 15, 16 when that that VHS came out. It was like, it was like a, almost like a, a magazine VHS. That yeah, they, yeah they I remember, put out. remember it well. Um, yeah. And I remember watching your, your videos and going, this guy's doing what I'm doing. And this is obviously pre YouTube. <laughs> so like, pre everything. Pre everything. Pre. Yeah, you know, we didn't really barely. Um, ha- didn't even really have the internet. I don't think. Not, not, not really. No. no, it was still a very kind of a new thing. Um, so the novelty, the, the the novelty of actually seeing somebody else around your age doing what you were doing and going, oh wow, I'm not the only person doing this because you just very much you felt very much on your own. Yeah. Now yeah. everyone's making videos in some way or other it's it's, it's become a it's a new it's a new language um and people are very kind of um literate in that in that respect so yeah. it's it's not really a novel thing anymore but for, at the time it was so so that was the same camcorder then that you were using to make those videos um possibly the not the very first one the very first camcorder we had was so basic it had no function it didn't even have you know how cam- it, like like 1990s camcorders had like a flip out screen mm. where you could like see it. it it had like basically like just a hole like you, know, yeah. you looked through and that was your viewfinder yeah so it had no screen it had no rewind playback functions at all it was just a, and it took those little uh, miniature vhs tapes if you remember those mm-hmm. and uh, um, the high eight tapes uh, it's called v- compact vhs it was called and you, you put it inside a, into like a frame of a full-size vhs to play it back mm-hmm. you've seen those yeah so i had no ability to edit i remember uh, when i was a kid one little i'd written this little script and the character some of it was filmed at my house some of it was filmed at this park like a few miles out and it, and because the character started at the house went to the park then he came back to the house and then he went to the park later on we had to shoot the whole thing in order because there was no ability to edit the film <laughs> you know what i mean it was all like, edited, in, edited camera. in camera yeah right okay so the whole day is spent driving back and forth because you couldn't shoot all the park stuff at once you had to literally do it in the same order that the, the character did it crazy That's things amazing. like that i i i got around that by um putting um hooking up two two v h s machines mm. and doing the whole pause record oh, man, thing. yeah and then there was like there was there was a certain amount of latency so and and i had it down to a t i knew exactly at what point it kind of it kicked the record kicked in yeah so i would do do that you know it was horrible doing that i i edited a whole like forty five minute movie because um because you know if you Use pause and record, yeah. Obviously, when you're doing that kind of editing, if you ever actually fully stop the machine, you get a massive glitch mm. when you try and start recording again. So you could never hit stop. You had to edit the whole movie just all at once. You, you can you imagine what I mean? Like this whole 45 minute movie, just using pause and never letting it sit for more than a couple of minutes because then the pause would switch off. And oh, the movie. my God. I mean, you did that, what, you for 45 minutes? Yeah, 45 well, minute length movie. Of... So it would take like wow. half a day or something, and then you'd play it back, and, of course, all the edits were completely horrible because you couldn't really control what you were doing, and it was always just... Look... It was a very frustrating time trying to make films in those days. Yeah. Because they never they always came out absolutely unwatchable and terrible, really. I don't know. I think it's a very good uh, discipline to, 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 to learn when it comes to editing because you couldn't really make mistakes. Yeah. Did you did you have did you have a similar sort of? Yes, when I went to university, that was my first 
the time having access to a proper edit suite with, and of course it was, yeah, like you say, it was a big reel to reel, not reel to reel, but it was SVHS, big thing with big buttons and sliders and, and, um, nobody else ever used it. So, cause I wasn't even doing video production. I, I was doing like drama and theater and stuff, but they had this edit suite that nobody ever used. So I just used to go in there like all the time. I'd just book it out for whole weekends because nobody else wanted it and uh, made my own film that wasn't even part of my course just for a laugh using all the university's equipment. Yeah, I uh, I remember going to, when I started uni, I'd, I'd already had like two years of using that. And then went to uni, I was so disappointed that they just had another linear suite because I was like, no, I want to I want to be using non-linear now. I know this is a thing. Surely they would have had this by now. Um what what was your plan when you because you said you you did uh, drama at college at uni, um, what was your plan? Where did you want to go from there? What was the aspiration? Uh, well, I think my problem was I was a bit too unfocused. I mean, yeah, making films was what I wanted to do, but then there's a lot of stuff incorporated in that. Is it are you are you going to be the writer? Are you going to be the actor? Are you going to be the director? Whatever. And I I tried to do all of it. Hmm. So the first couple of like sort of attempts at, at actual feature films I did post sort of university actually this would in, in the early 2000s this would have been and I wrote the scripts and I co-directed the films and I starred in the films and I did the music score because I was interested in all these areas it sounds like a super um like self-obsessed kind of a thing but it, I was just interested in all those areas I, and I couldn't decide what thing I was good at but having done that over the years you realize yeah I'm not the best actor <laughs> So let's let someone else do that. And, and I love doing the music, but I'm not really the best musician. Let's let someone else do that. Uh, probably, yeah, being behind the camera, doing the directing is is what I'm good at. Because um, I I don't know, for me, like I said, when I was a kid, like, I could visualize these little scenes and these little shots, these little edits. It never occurred to me that other people can't do that. Do you know what I mean? Because my wife mm. says to me, you know, secretly, she's kind of, she pretends she's not, but she's secretly, she's a little bit proud. And she, because every now and then she'll let something slip and she'll say, oh, it's amazing how you can just visualize. Because she sees me doing my little storyboards. She says, it's amazing how you can visualize these shots. And to me, I just, I, I had, had no idea other people couldn't do that. Because hmm. I can visualize exactly the shot, how it's going to cut to the next shot, how, what, what, what the music might sound like, how the camera's going to move. It's all in my head before we start shooting. And so that I, I'm assuming that's what a film director is. You know what I mean? It seems to me that you've, kind of explored all the different facets of of making a film because you're interested in all of it i feel like it's, it's your duty as a director to sort of understand all those assets so then you can direct i'm i'm, I'm very much like you i i do the music for it because because i've got i've got I, I can hear it so i'm just wanting trying to get it out and yeah yeah but i always also know that there are other people who do a much better job than me yeah yeah absolutely um, so do you do you with your most of your crew do you do you work with the same people? Yes, I do. There's a yeah. a few people. It's interesting. You just find people over the years, and um, very very lucky. Um, I started because I started this this recent kind of run of films in I think it's 2013, and um, I was running. A, I was doing like corporate videos as a as a business at the time. Hmm. Obviously, wanting to be a, a proper filmmaker. So um, and I got this email from. Uh, a girl who's a recent graduate saying, oh, um, I'd like to get some experience in video making, blah, 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 blah. So I said, oh, yeah, come along. We're making this film. And um, and this 21-year-old girl turned up, unpaid this was, because we already had the crew for the film. This was a film I did called um, <sighs> Survival Instinct. And um, mm-hmm. 
and this this young girl, she came along every day unpaid, and we were filming out in the woods and in hospitable environments, you know, super super micro budget stuff. Mm. And she stuck with it for the whole shoot. And I thought this girl's brilliant. And uh, immediately afterwards, I hired her for my company, and uh, I've worked with her ever since. Her name is Grace, and she's absolutely brilliant. And she works with me on every single film. And what does she do? What's everything. Her, what's her role? Everything. <laughs> yeah, I always say to people, how, what I used to say is, um, I do everything, and Grace does everything else. And then, uh, aside from Grace, um, Marcus is uh, my mate from nearby Hinkley. He's uh, my builder, who helps me build all the sets, uh, which is one thing I cannot do. I have never been able to do. I'm just not a good DIY practical person <laughs> at all. So, and Marcus is moving away. Uh, well, he's playing too, so I'm going to be in trouble soon. But yeah, that is another of my long time uh, helpers on set. And also, he appears in quite a few of the movies as well because he does a bit of acting. Um, who do we use? We use Stephanie Harrison for the makeup. Uh, first worked with Stephanie on uh, Haunting of Alcatraz. And we pulled her back again for um, Jack the Ripper. So, and then as I mentioned as well, DOP John, although I haven't worked with him on a feature before, I worked with him on a short and we got on really well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's about finding the people who you click with and who are sort of super reliable and, and bring a lot to the production. And uh, yeah, we just don't, don't ever let them escape basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look on IMDb, on my IMDb, all the films, you'll see the same sort of names cropping up on the crew and, and for the cast very often as well. I, and I think that's a good sign because you know, if if people didn't keep coming back, you might think, well, is, is this production company a bit dodgy? Is no one getting paid? Is it, you know, is it an unhappy set? But because you can see the same people coming back, coming back, you know that we're all having a good time, which we are. I mean, we work hard, but we have a lot of fun. And I, I just love being able to make films with all these people who are my friends. What I really like about looking at your film, filmography is that you've, it seems that you've just gone, right, I've got these films, I'm just going to make them. And regardless of the budget, we're going to do it. I'll shoot it myself. You, know, you seem to be very kind of, um, very proactive indeed. Is that is that a philosophy that you've kind of had since you were uh, you were young making your own, own videos and it's kind of, nothing's really changed? Yeah, I think so. You have to be. Because, I mean, how many people are there that would like to make a living as a filmmaker but aren't? The technology's there. Most people are doing filmmaking, but it's like it's out on the on the weekends, or it's a hobby, or it's we made one independent feature, we got distribution, that was three years ago. You know what are we doing now? It's so many people in all these kind of different situations. As I am full time film director, and this is not kind of boastful because obviously I know the films I'm making are pretty small small scale stuff. They're not big Hollywood. They're not going to impress anybody. But I make a living directing movies, which is what I've always dreamed of. It's amazing. And it's come about basically by never saying no to anything. <laughs> Although I just just lately, I, I have started saying no to some things because I'm just so busy, I haven't got time. But yeah, over the years, it's always been never say no, grab any opportunity that's going because you never know what, what might come of it. And yeah, and, and gradually the productions have scaled up. Like that, the first one, Survival Instinct, that was my own money I put into that. Mm. Had no distributors interested. You know, I just went out and made it. I would never do this now. But just to get something going, to get you know, because I knew I knew I could make a film, hmm. but I had no track record really, and you know, no distributors wanted to speak to me. So you have to start somewhere. So I did that. I spent my own money. Still haven't made my money back on it, to be honest. But it's, it's what you have to do to get started. Hmm. And then you're just from there, you start talking to distributors because at least you've got something in your back pocket to show them. 
and I worked with a company called 88 Films, who are lo- locally based. They distribute a lot of cult movies, and uh, the minute they're doing a lot of Jackie Chan movies, I'm sure you must, you must have got some of their Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we just got chatting one day and they said, oh, we're interested in maybe putting out some little independent films. What have you got? So, you know, worked with them, did a couple of films with those guys, super, super low budget and just shot locally in the studio. But it was, you know, it was a, at least it wasn't my own money going in this time. So it was, mm. it was a step forward. And then, you know, bit from there, uh, one of those films did reasonably well. Uh, Essex Heist, it was like a mock Essex Boys kind of gangster thing. Mm. That did reasonably well. So then other distributors sort of got, got in touch saying, oh, have you got anything, you know, like that for us? It just opened up that, that dialogue. And now there's a couple of distributors I'm in contact with all the time for digital media and high flyers films. And uh, yeah, they're, they're and the budgets are just slowly, slowly, slowly each time going a little bit higher. Films are getting a little bit better each time. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it's, that's, it, it's took me to, I'm, I'm in my forties now. It would have been great if I could have been in this situation in my twenties when I had the energy to do all the work myself, and, and you know, but it, it, it just it takes time to build up. It's all about building up those relationships and, and also building up um, a catalogue of work that people can look at and say, yes, we can we can see that this person is reliable, can deliver, you know, a proper film. Mm. Because when you first speak to distributors and, you, and you've got no track record and they don't know who you are, why would they be interested? Yeah. So it's a very slow, slow process of moving slowly, slowly, slowly up the ladder. And now I'm, I'm pretty much in my dream situation. I'm in my own studio, making my own little movies, getting distribution. Yeah, it's great. But you said, um, you know, that your 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 first uh, your first film, that survival instinct, that you put your own money into, and you said, oh, I know, I've not even I've not really seen the money back on that yet. But I guess the value in that film was not necessarily the monetary value that you would, you know, your, your return on your investment was basically kind of kickstarting a career as a, as, as a director. Yeah, absolutely. Then you got people interested because you, again, you were proactive and you, and you just made it happen yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you'd shot something and there it was, it existed. It's not like going to Jupiter mm. with a piece of paper saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. There's obviously other ways to do it, but... Um... There can be a huge amount of luck involved, because, like, when I shot Survival Instinct, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be a very commercial, I'll get a distribution, because it's kind of a thriller type of thing, girl in peril. Um, but having shot it, um, no distributor was interested, even though it was a very commercial kind of film. So hmm. I thought. But other thing, other people I know went out and shot a movie. Uh, if, if you happen to just turn up on the doorstep with exactly the right film at the right time, it, that can really jumpstart a career. Because, um, like for example, if you if you shot a zombie movie, and then next year there was a, a big zombie movie came out, and all the distributors were thinking, we, "We want zombie movies quick!" And if you turn up with a zombie movie right there, no matter how bad it is, they'll jump at it. You know what I mean? Um, so it could be pure luck sometimes, but I think you do you have to shoot something. There's always this, there's this this sort of debate of like, you know, what do you shoot? Do you, do you, do you? Because you, obviously you write your own um, you write your own films as well. Do you um, go ahead with an idea that you know that will be commercially viable, or do you go for something that you want to make that is sort of that you feel very strongly about? Uh, well, what I do now is I just write. I come up with ideas and I write treatments, usually a couple of pages of something that I think will be commercially viable, and hopefully something that I'm interested in as well. But it's certainly it's not it's certainly never a case of. I'm passionate about an issue or something, and I want to make a story about it. No, it's always it's always commercial first because that's what I enjoy doing. I like being a commercial filmmaker, and I because I know the kind of things 
now, having been doing this for a few years, I know the kind of things that the distributors are looking for. So I, I go away and I, I come up with ideas based around that. And I usually take a handful and I pitch them to the distributors. And they'll usually say, yeah, we like that one. And so then I'll go away and write the script. I'll, I'll never sit and write a whole script just on spec because it's too much work. And because very often, if it's not what I was looking for, why why waste the time? It's much easier to write a treatment. And so, so an example of that was um, Bram Stoker's Van Helsing. I had the idea. It was something it was something I wanted to do because I say I'd, I'd met Mark and I thought he'd be great as Van Helsing. Uh, but I also knew it was the kind of thing my distributors would like because they like things with um, known properties or known names attached. I don't mean actors. I mean names like Van Helsing. Mm. See, everybody's heard of Van Helsing. It's a well-known name, but luckily it's out of copyright, so you can use it. So I knew something like, oh, Van Helsing, yeah, they'll like that. So I went away, I, I, I put together a little treatment, a couple of pages, and yeah, they, they fancied it. So um, that's why that, that that's why that was shot. And same with Saltwater, the crocodile film. Another thing that sells is true stories and um, World War II movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this was a true, this Saltwater was based on a true story, it's set during World War II. And I knew that that combination, and the fact that it's a creature feature, I thought this is a great combination. You know, this will sell. And again, um, I, I pitched that to four digital media. They absolutely loved it because it was a combination of all those things. It was World War Two, true story, uh, monster movie. <laughs> it's got you're ticking a lot of boxes there. So, so yeah, so that's what I do. I I, I go away and I th- try to think up ideas that are based on either a true story or some sort of well known property, and and that there's also viable on a, on a modest, modest budget. And yeah, yeah, I write treatments. I pitch the treatments, and whichever treatment gets selected, then I go away and write the script. Okay. Is there ever um, a script that you would, uh, or a story or subject um, that is kind of that you, that you, that's burning inside you that you want to get out, regardless of uh, it being a uh, commercially viable? Well, of uh, course. Genre? I mean, I, I would love to do a, a kung fu movie, and I keep talking to people because um, I, what I actually what I really really want to do is a Chinese vampire movie. I want to do it. Amazing. I want to do something like Mr. Vampire, set in Victorian England. That's what I want to do. And one of these oh, days, no. when I when I've built up enough brownie points, I'm sure I'm going to persuade a distributor to go for it. Oh, that would be amazing. Because that's what I really want to do. I, I it's just you know you've seen all those kind of movies like Mr. Vampire and Spooky mm. Encounters. No one's ever done a pro- an English language movie with that sort of mythology. I think it would actually blow people's minds. And I, yeah. I would picture it as being something a bit like The Mummy. You know the Brendan Fraser version yeah. of the Mummy, where it's got action, it's got a bit of comedy, it's got that period setting. That's what I want to do: some kind of adventure, adventure movie set in Victorian era with with Chinese vampires. That doesn't seem like it should be a, uh, uh, too much of a pump, no. Well, I, I'm I'm giving this away. I, what I'm thinking of is if 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 Bram Stoker's Van Helsing does well, I'm going to go back to them and say, right, Van Helsing versus Chinese vampires, because <laughs> why not? Because it gets it gets the van, it gets the name in there, the Van Helsing name in there makes it yeah. commercially viable. I think, but I don't know whether we could ever do it because you know the, you know shooting fight scenes takes so long and is mm. obviously slightly dangerous. And so whether it's really viable on these kind of budgets, I don't know. But that's what I would love to do. Well, there's a, there's a huge community of uh, choreographers and actors and stuntmen out there who are just absolutely bite your hands off. Yeah, I I just, I just need to come up with a really good title because that's usually what again that that's the thing when I when I write these treatments. Mm. I, it, it always takes one of the hardest things is coming up with that that super snappy title that really really works um, and I haven't quite you know what would it be Van Helsing something something Chinese vampire I don't know I can't quite but one of these days it's going to click in my head and then I'm going to sit down and write it yeah. oh yeah for sure like 
oh, a, a period version of uh, Big Trouble in Little China kind yeah, of vibe, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I you know I get emails all the time from writers saying, "Oh, you know, do you need a writer? Can I submit a script?" And I tell you why. There's a reason why I always write my own scripts. Mm. And again, it's not because I think I'm the best writer in the world, but we shoot these movies usually, as I mentioned, in about eight to ten days, which is super super tight. Mm. And when I write the script. I'm always thinking not only as a writer, but also as a producer and as a sort of like a line producer, how many days shooting is this script going to be? How many locations are they going to be? How many actors are they going to be? Mm. And, um, and I know I can, on average, we shoot about 10 pages a day. So when I'm writing the script and this is particularly true on the script, I've just, or the movie I've just done, we've just done a Jack the Ripper movie. And when I was writing the script for that, I was very, very conscious. Every single, basically you've got your, your main character who's in it all the way through you say two or three main characters, let's say, then each kind of um, supporting character, my plan is that actor is going to come in for one day and one day only. So that character needs to have 10 pages of scenes of, or dialogue spread, maybe either either one long 10-minute scene or they're going to be spread throughout the movie, two minutes here, three minutes there, whatever, hmm. so that we can shoot that, that actor. And the same goes for locations. If I know we've got a location for a day, that location has to have 10 minutes of scenes in it because there's no point writing a location that people walk into for one minute and come out again. Because you've got to go, you've got to spend a whole day just to shoot that one minute. Yeah. Things, so all these things are constantly on my mind when I'm writing the script. It's all about how practical it is. So, um, so yeah, this is why I write my own scripts. Because I can't imagine there's many writers that would think in that much detail. Because because obviously because they're more obsessed with um, a really good story and really good dialogue and all that stuff. Obviously, is incredibly important. But for me, yeah. number one is I've got to be able to shoot this on the budget in the time that I've got. So there's going to be X number of scenes where it's just people sitting down in a room talking because that's easy to shoot. <laughs> but there's also got to be X number of scenes of people running around because that's got to go in the trailer because you can't mm. do a whole movie with just people sat in a room because it's boring. But you've got to do, say, you know, 50% of it might be people sitting in rooms because that's, that's stuff you know you can shoot quick. So mm. it's all, all, this, all these kind of things are constantly in my mind when I'm writing the script. So it's really, really um, structured very, very carefully with precise numbers of characters, precise numbers of days, pages here, and you know, all that sort of thing. So if I just picked up some, uh, I'll tell you something, ages ago, somebody sent me a script for a short film, just randomly, just somebody saying, oh, here's a script, what do you think? And it was, uh, it was a scene, of, uh, um, a short film about a dustman, like a guy who drives a, a dustman lorry kind of thing. And first scene was this dump truck driving down the street. I'm thinking... Well, how the hell am I going to shoot that? Can you hire these things? Where do you find them? They're all owned by the council. You, know, you need insurance for someone to drive this thing. You need to close a road. Forget it. That script's in the bin. It might have been the best script ever written, but you know what I mean? I can't shoot that. So, yeah, that's why I write my, so that's my That's my approach to screenwriting is, can I shoot it? Yes, it goes in the script. If I can't, forget it. Yeah. So you, you're straight from a practical standpoint. You have because to be. you need to have make to sure, yeah. Because no, I have to, I have to shoot that film in, in that week. Because again, that's the other thing. A lot of people making indie movies, like like low budget independent movies, they they might shoot their movie over the course of a year. You mean in weekends here and there? I can't do that. I've got to shoot it that week because I've hired all the actors and I've booked hotels and I've got you know what I mean. I've got my crew in. It's not a hobby thing that we shoot here and there throughout the year when when we can fit it in. So it's it's so yeah. It's it's all got to be planned in very very carefully. And it's all got to be doable in that time period 
if you can't do it in that time period, forget it, cut it from the script. So if you're doing on average 10 pages a day. I'll tell you what, here's a, here's a secret. Uh, Jack the Ripper movie we just did, one day we shot 22 pages, which quite possibly might be a world record. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, no, actually, I have got that beat. <laughs> I did a, a period for a short and I had 20, 24 pages of dialogue and one unit change in a day. Wow. And um, I will never do that again. It was very stressful. Um, and there was no time to to really kind of, you know, take time over certain shit. It was just like ticking off, but it was just next, 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 next. Yeah, and, it does uh, get like that sometimes. But actually, to be fair, we started at 9 a.m. We we wrapped at 6 p.m. It was fine. Wow. That's, I mean, that is that is very impressive. And I can't believe you're, you're, you're doing, like, literally shooting things in, in you know, in and around, did you say eight days? I think, yeah, I think Saltwater was eight days. Uh, we wow. shot um, nine days, I think, for Jack the Ripper. But yeah, that's that's it those kinds full, of schedules. Full-on days? It must be full-on. Um, well, <laughs> we, 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 we shoot nine till six. We never, very, very rarely, we might go over to about half six, something like that. But we don't do crazy, crazy late night shoots. No, no. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm running a business. It's a professional thing. It's not, as I say, it's yeah. not, it's not that. Like when we started out, yeah, the first film way back, we did Survival Instinct. Yeah, we were shooting till one o'clock in the morning, trying to get it done, all that kind of crazy. I don't do that stuff anymore. That's another thing. I, I don't write night scenes in my scripts. Or if I do, <laughs> if I do, we shoot them in, as interiors. That's what we did on Saltwater. That's how we did it. The, the the jungle film. We built an interior set of a jungle. For, yeah. So all the night scenes were done in the studio during the day. Amazing. And it looks really good. I think you've just uh, opened my eyes a bit there, really, to sort of maybe go back to the drawing board on a few things and go, actually, no, I can make life a lot easier here. That's incredible. Yeah, well, oh. it's not, like you say, it, it's, it gets things done. It, it means you weren't sat there for months thinking, oh, how am I going to shoot this brilliant thing I want to do? If you can't shoot it, cut it out and shoot something else. At least you're, at least you're shooting something. <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Just before we go, um, please, by all means, um, plug Bram Stoker's uh, Van Helsing again. And when's, when's, that, when's that coming out? Uh, March 29th. So I don't know when this podcast will come out. Maybe it'll be already be out. But um, as we're recording this, it's, yeah, it's tomorrow, basically. Oh, it's tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's that, that's out on, uh, you can get a DVD from Amazon, of course. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on, um, I think, uh, iTunes. It's, a lot of, it's not on Netflix, but it's on all the other all the other streaming platforms and yeah it's it's like we said it's it's quite authentic to the novel it is a proper traditional hammer style vampire mm. movie proper van helsing proper um all the characters from the novel apart from the ones we cut out to save money and really? uh it's one of me yeah, i'm really pleased with that's going to be very big with the fans isn't it i hope from so the uh the people who actually love the original text yeah, and we've put a lot of effort into, obviously, the period settings, the costumes, the props. It does, actually. It all looks really nice. We've got a proper horse and carriage, stately home, all the dresses, all the all the um, lords and ladies and suits. And, yeah, it looks really good. It looks really good. Amazing. And then and then I, I imagine kind of just soon after that, we've got salt water as well. Yeah, I don't know when that's coming out. It's with a different distributor. I think it's, it's coming out in June in America, as far as we know. I don't know if they've sorted out a UK release yet, but apparently that's uh, it's going to come out all around the world. Apparently it's, it's uh, done very well in international sales. That's another thing we haven't touched on, but all, all the movies I make, they're designed to be seen around the world because the UK is a very small market. Uh, so that's another reason for doing these period set movies. You know, British films, 
if they're set in, you know, in the 1800s, people around the world, they love that. So that's another reason for that. So yeah, that should be, so I don't know where it's coming out of the UK, but it will be out in the summer somewhere. So, I mean, again, when you're, when you're writing your, when your scripts, you're going, well, I'm going to make this a period piece because uh big Asian market, they absolutely adore things like, uh, what's it called? Um, oh, you think of Downton Abbey, is that what you're going to Downton say? Downton Abbey, that's yeah. <laughs> And the crown, and all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then after that, you've got, the Ripper film. Yeah, Ripper Untold. Again, don't know when that's coming out. Literally, it's still in post now. And once that's finished, you've got another two films planned, uh, pandemic wow. allowing for the rest of this year. Well, you're an extremely busy guy, and so I won't keep you any longer. Um, Steve, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, I know that anyone listening to this is going to get a lot out of it um, because I, I just love your plain-talking, practical uh, approach to filmmaking. It's uh, it's a real eye-opener. So, uh yeah, thanks so much for talking to me and uh, I, hope to, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks. There you go. Steve Lawson, um, writer, director, producer, editor, misc, um, filmmaker machine, uh, a guy who clearly loves what he does and um, yeah, some really good uh, practical advice from, from Steve there. Um, his new film, Bram Stoker's Van Helsing, is available now um, on Amazon Prime and other other platforms. Um, I'm sure you just Google it, and you'll find you'll find some way of of, of, of downloading or buying um, that film. Uh, he has some more, some more in the in the pipeline, so please do look out for those as well. Um, and I think it's nice to know if you're watching a film that you have a bit of a background on. On, on, on the people who make it as well. Uh, it always makes it a little bit more enjo- more enjoyable. Um, so to um, moving forwards with the podcast, we've got some more things coming up. Uh, the next episode, we'll be talking about lockdown projects, uh, how it's not really deterred a lot of uh, creatives. And I think we're going to get some really good stories there. Um, not going to dwell too much on lockdown because I think uh, you can all agree we're all a bit fed up of it now. Um, so yeah, please do uh, share and uh, comment and get back to me on anything that you'd like to talk about. If you'd like to be on the podcast yourself or any uh, any subjects you'd like us to cover. Um, but until then, stay safe and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. Beyond Film Podcast.